Moses said to all Israel the words which the Lord commanded him. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today, by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways and observing his commandments, decrees and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall perish. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning and we trust as we always trust that you are here in our midst. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit. The Main Street Singers were formed in 1958 in Greenwich Village in New York City, originally as the Village Folk Ensemble. And then one night in 1960, they were at a hootenanny, jamming with the Clapper family, when all of a sudden it clicked. Five from one group, four from another. Became a nuftet, a nine-piece folk group. They joined forces to become the Main Street Singers. That group only existed for 10 years. They broke up in 1970, only to reform with only one original member in the early 1990s as the new Main Street Singers. Now, none of that is true. Uh, The new Main Street Singers and their whole history only exist in the world of Christopher Guest's film, A Mighty Wind, which is about aging folk singers coming together for one last concert. It's sort of the folk version of Spinal Tap, another one of my favorite fake musical groups that plays uh, fake real songs. Because the songs, of course, aren't fake. The songs are actually really great. It's just that the bands while they exist in one sense, don't really exist in a way that makes the most sense. Uh, They are still great, though. And one of my all-time favorite fake real songs is by the group that I just described, the New Main Street Singers. And I would give anything to be able to sing it to you now. I even thought about asking Aya to see if we could sort of work it up a little bit um, last night, but then I thought better of it for your sake and mine. Um, So unfortunately, all I can do is sort of talk sing it a a little bit, which uh, gulp I will now attempt to do. This is called The Good Book Song by the New Main Street Singers. Now, God said to Noah, I don't want no sinning. I've been telling you this since in the beginning. You gotta round up your sons and all of their women because you're going on a big boat ride. Now gather all the animals by the pair, build a big ship about a million square, and put all the animals right in there, and sail away on the tide. But what if Noah had just said, no, sir? Well, we'd all have fins and scaly skins. We'd breathe through gills instead of nostrils, and we'd eat fish food instead of vitamin pills. It's scary, but it's true. 
So do what the good book, do what the good book, do what the good book tells you to. Now there's a second verse to the good book song, this one about David and Goliath, about what would have happened if David didn't obey God. This is how it goes. I'm not going to even talk sing this one. It says, we'd live like slaves to Philistine knaves. Our bosses would all be 30 feet tall. We'd wash their clothes with a fire hose and we'd sleep in the cracks between their toes. And then the outro, it's scary, but it's true. And if I were you, I'd do what the good book, do what the good book, do what the good book tells me to. And do what the good book tells you to is basically the sermon that Moses is giving the people in Deuteronomy chapter 30, isn't it? This scripture that we read this morning. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, Moses says, then you shall live. But if your heart turns away, you shall perish. If I were you, I'd do what the good book, do what the good book, do what the good book tells me to. This message that he's preaching is as common today as it was all those years ago, both inside and outside the church. And it goes by a simple name, karma. The idea that if you do good things, you make the right choices, good things will happen to you. Good things will come back. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. And we, every last one of us, have a nagging suspicion that this is the way the world works. Which is why karma preachers, again, both inside and outside the church, are so popular. Now, they preach similarly from big cathedrals and from Oprah's couch. Honestly, most of us probably think this is the way the world ought to work, right? It sounds fair. Good things come to good people. Bad things come to bad people. But for all of us who wish that karma was the way that the world works, the good getting the good and the bad getting the bad, all of us are making one big assumption. We're assuming, and this is a doozy, we're assuming that we're one of the good people. See, karma is awesome if you're a good person. You're one of the ones who gets the good things in return. But if you're a bad person, karma is terrible for you. If you're a bad person, fair becomes bad news. And so it seems like all we have to do is to make sure we're good people. And it seems like a laudable goal. Be good. And of course, we have a nice guide. Do what the good book tells you to. Do good, follow God, and get good things in return. Do bad, don't follow God, and get bad things in return. Do what the good book tells you to. But the good book song is just karma by another name, isn't it? If I were you, I'd do what the good book tells me to. And I was thinking about this, this apparent choice that we have, and karma, yes or no, bad or good, this choice to do or to not do what the good book tells us to. And I remembered another piece of scripture, which you're all familiar with, which we all have seen on pieces of Christian art, sorry, inspirational art. Do you 
Remember when there were Thomas Kincaid stores in the mall? Remember when there were malls? <laughs> Remember, the Thomas Kincaid store wasn't full of Christian art. It was full of inspirational art. And half of it said somewhere on it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, art with these words on it hangs in the foyer of many Christian homes to sort of announce the fact, right? In this house, we will serve the Lord. And this is no judgment on any of you who have such a piece of art. I have one in my own home. But the real story of this verse is a fascinating one and I think worth telling briefly. The, the quotation is from Joshua, Joshua 24 Joshua has become the leader of the people of Israel, and he's preaching a sermon here. He's basically preaching a very similar sermon to the one we have Moses preaching in Deuteronomy 30. Like Moses, Joshua gives the people a choice. He says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so, of course, the people say, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. So up to now, just like Moses, right? Make a choice and make it a good one. Do what the good book tells you to. But after the people tell Joshua their good choice, Joshua throws them a curveball. The people say, we too will serve the Lord. And Joshua says, quote, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. Now, I bet that's not on any inspirational art in your home, is it? He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. But after that dire warning, don't choose God, because if you do and sin against him, he will not forgive you. After the warning, Joshua's people double down. They say to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And then Joshua says to them in conclusion, you are witnesses against yourselves. That you have chosen to serve the Lord. This is a crazy conversation. But it's actually in the Bible. You can look it up. Joshua 24. It's not only a crazy conversation. It's a big departure from what we see in Moses. Moses seems to be giving the people a choice. Assuming that they have the ability to do the right thing. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, you shall live. But if your heart turns away, you shall perish. And Joshua gives the people a similar choice. But when it seems like they're choosing correctly, he stops them. You don't have the ability, he says, to carry out the choice you've just made. Joshua says, God is holy and you are not. This is not a deal that's going to work out for you. So all of us with those, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord pieces of art in our homes. Joshua is telling us that we're making promises that we're not going to be able to keep. We desire to serve the Lord. 
We desire to do the right thing, to follow his commands, but our actions let our desires down. We can't just do what the good book tells us to. Think of something as simple as loving your enemies. We all know that it's something good to do. The good book tells us to do it. You desire it. But when it comes to actually loving someone who is against you, it's impossible. We let our desires down by our actions. And Joshua knows this. He implores the people, don't make this bargain. You are not able to serve the Lord. Don't choose this. And when they insist, When they say, no, we will serve the Lord. He tells them that they are witnesses against themselves. Their own promise to obey will be used as testimony against them when they fall short. Our promise to follow God will be held against us when we fail to live up to his holy standard. So yay, right? Isn't this Christianity thing great? God creates us, gives us an impossible standard to live up to, gives us a choice about whether to follow it or not, sets it all up under the rules of karma, it seems. Good things come to those who succeed, bad things come to those who fail. But then, because of sin, we find that we don't actually have the ability to carry out our good choice. So... How is do what the good book tells you to good news? How is this religion anything we want to be any kind of part of? Well, it's not. As St. Paul says in Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is what Paul says when karma rears its ugly head, when he realizes that he can't do the good things he sets his mind to. And that he keeps doing the evil things he'd rather avoid. He says, who will deliver us from this body of death? If this was the only face of God, the creator, the judge, the the karma king, Christianity wouldn't be any different from anything else. Because remember, if you're a bad person, karma is terrible for you. Fairness is terrible for you. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you. This is the good book talking about Almighty God. He will turn and bring disaster on you. And make an end of you. But Paul, when he laments his body of death, immediately names his deliverer. Thanks be to God, he says, through Jesus Christ, my Lord. It is Jesus Christ who steps into the breach. There is a problem here between us and our creator, God, the lawgiver. He is demanding something that we find because of sin we cannot give. And he is not forgiving. But this is just when we are introduced to God, the Savior. 
into a situation of fear, shame, guilt, and failure, steps a God of love, peace, joy, and righteousness. Theologian Mark Mattis says that God is so for you as your Savior that he is actually against himself as your judge. He is so for you as your Savior that he is against himself as your judge. He takes our guilt upon himself. He bears the brunt of our transgressions and gives us his perfection. He will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you is diverted onto Jesus Christ. He will turn and bring disaster on him and make an end of him. When Joshua says that he will not forgive your rebellion and your sins, he foreshadows that instead our rebellion and our sins are given to another, to a substitute, a savior in our place. Now we just sang these Beautiful words in that hymn, my Savior left his throne above. We sang about Jesus. He kept his Father's every word. The law he followed perfectly. So all God's pleasure he secured. All this and more he earned for me. Because his righteous life is mine and all his merits now I own. I am a child of God on high. I am adopted, loved, and known. We are adopted, loved, and known because Jesus followed the law perfectly, not because we did. Jesus did what the good book told him to, not because we did. We are adopted because his righteous life is ours. And his merits are ours too. Our lives bear witness against us. Just as Joshua warned that they would. Our hearts have turned away. And we do not hear. And are led astray to bow down to other gods. And serve them. That is our truth. That is your truth. But I declare to you today that you shall not perish. And why? Because your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has perished in your place. And he has been raised to new life for you. In him, you are a child of God on high. In him, you are adopted. You are loved, you are known. Amen.